You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is To Stir With Love, Tales from Prison with Rabbi Yitzchak Kolokowski. Rabbi Yitzchak, um, prison where, of course, you have served and you serve with love, you serve in a way to bring chesed and, 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 and basic human dignity. Uh, and, and really, uh, we've talked about all the great work you've done and all the great work there still needs to be done. But we know, Yitzchak, that a prison population, because it's contained the way it is, because of the fact that you can't leave, um, because in certain ways it represents a, 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 a great model uh, and something that you can measure and note. There have been uh, cases, and some of them quite notorious, where prisons have been used to measure uh, disease, illness. In fact, there have been cases where, where, where illnesses were unleashed on prisoners, and doctors in the prison were able to use the, the, the inmates as human guinea pigs. We know that even in a, a even a more terrible way, of course, in the Holocaust, that was one of the things that our our brethren that went through the concentration camps before many of them were killed. They were also experimented upon. Uh, uh, a, a community that is so closed is, in a certain way, able to be studied very well. And I know that studies of, of behavior uh, are definitely some. Many of them come out of what happens in prisons. But Yitzchak, uh, I, I was thinking of the following. Obviously, I'm not suggesting in any way anything unethical uh, of, of, of using prisoners as human guinea pigs. But we know that there's something going out there that maybe prisons can help us with. What's happening in the outside world is an inability, as you know, of, of conversation to occur, normal human conversation and understanding. In fact, there's such uh, the outside world today is so filled with misconceptions and, and notions that are incorrect about other people. And it's, at one time, that could just be a surprise what another person is, what another person's religion is. Today, we have such advancements in our global technology and understanding that we jump to the wrong conclusions. And because of that, we assume the other person is terrible and is the other and is part of some terrible conspiracy or part of some ugly gang or part of a terrible people. And we have things like we saw that happened over the last weekend when people who are just sitting Jews who, who are obviously Jews, the way they're dressed and the way they look are being attacked because the assumption is that they're associated with what's uh, with the Israeli government or the Israeli, that they, that they are somehow uh, part and parcel with what the Israelis, how the Israelis attacked uh, back properly, in my mind, uh, Gaza. But the point is, is that why would anybody conflate these things? Why would somebody think, and again, we saw something, you know, obviously we know the Jews pray for Israel. We know it's a Jewish state, but we realize that there's a, there is a, a as you pointed out to me when we were speaking earlier, that one of the people that was hurt over this weekend, right, was a, was a Satmar Chassid, right? Asat Merchassad in Williamsburg, correct? But I think in the, in the in the Diamond District, they were, I don't know if they were hurt or not, but I know there was there was an explosion in the Diamond District. And, uh, uh, there, was, again, uh, 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 there was an explosion there. Okay, I, I guess I didn't get my facts right, but clearly sure, there, could, there could have been something I don't know about. That's that's but that, that's what I heard about. It was and well, I actually have... I called I called a, uh, a a radio talk show yesterday when when I was out. I was actually heading to Queens and I, and I talked about my, you know, my fears about, you know, being in the city and the comparison being in a, a rural area. And, you know, the, the stereotype is that you would expect the rural areas is, is going to be less tolerant and, uh, and an urban area is supposed to be more diverse and, and tolerant. And the fact of the matter is I, I have, I have no qualms walking into to prison in Waymart or walking around in, in White Lake, New York or so forth uh, in the Hasidic Shalabush. But I, I had a, a, an intense fear about going into New York City, even though I wasn't in Manhattan. And also I saw today a, 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 a possibility for some kind of a service I could perform in New York City. Um, and I was thinking about making a bid on the Thumbtack website where I got a lot of weddings. This wasn't the wedding, this was a uh, and I, and then I said, you know, I don't I don't want to go into the city. I don't want to. I'm I'm too 
that was actually Taka in Manhattan. And I, I wouldn't, it's it, the fear that I have of entering into New York City is really too intense that I can't, I can't imagine. And of course, I should tell our listeners that you aren't exactly you, um, Wally Cox, you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Nobody would mistake you with, uh, with, um, with uh, Villachez, right, from the Love Boat, right? You stand all, you stand a, a, a very hearty six foot three. Yeah, yeah. But but at the same time, you are feeling the sense that 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 just walking around the street uh, targets you. And I think part of it is the inability of people to even have civil conversations. It, there seems to be. Uh, uh, whether it's people screaming at people who are wearing MAGA hats or people who are uh, assuming that if you're in a, a protest for Black Lives Matter that you are you you agree with with the looting and rioting, they're, they're, they're the the level of of people screaming over each other, not understanding what it means to rep to be part of a certain people, to be a part of a certain religion. You know, we've talked in this uh, program before about the, um, the uh, attacks that occurred to Sikhs after the 9-11 bombings, right? There was, a, there was a number of Sikhs that were attacked throughout the United States. And of course, Sikh, and we've talked about the Sikh religion being so different than anything to do with the, the, the terrorists who, who took down the Twin Towers. And yet, right. they're, 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 and, and, and that might've been just an anomaly at the time, but yet still, and, and there, whether there's been an uptick in Asian American crime against Asian Americans or not, there definitely is a lack of understanding of what people are, who they are, what they represent, what they are about. So I was thinking, Yitzhak, we got to start somewhere. And maybe there's a way that we could bring people from disparate places, disparate religions, religions that sometimes even are odds with each other but somehow create a forum where they can speak. Not a bunch of eggheads in the UN, not a bunch of well-meaning documentaries to get you cry, but actual real people to, to allow them to really understand each other. You need a good moderator. Perhaps prison is a place where I'm sure you have your groups, and maybe that's a place where we can begin modeling a technique where we can bring Muslims, Jews, Christians together, uh, even people who have expressed uh, hatred towards Jews. And of course, because now that they're in a, a place where you have the, the COs there and you have uh, clearly monitored, where you could actually begin to talk with each other. And we can have a sociologist sitting there, Yitzhak, taking notes, seeing how reactions can occur and, and realizing what is the best method of conversation between people. The, the, the prison population, although, of course, I think you'll agree, has extreme members, uh, and that's the reason why they're in prison, but some of them might still have the same sort of simple prejudices that, we're, that we find out in the street. The people that you're scared of aren't in prison yet, but they might hold some of the same ideas that some of the people that were incarcerated. And maybe at least there we could begin talking to each other, because it's not happening uh, in the public forum. It's not happening on talk radio. It's not happening in the halls of Congress. Maybe, maybe in a in a contained area, good people could get it started. What do you think? You know, I, I know at least I myself as a chaplain, which it's not really what you're talking about. That's been my experience personally. Whether it's ministering to people of other faiths or or ministering together with people of other faiths, it certainly has been a rewarding experience. To to you know see the other as as a fellow human being, and I think that's really the the key to all of these things. And I was actually uh, you know discussing with the Jewish Federation in Orange County, New York, about doing something along those lines, just to build those bridges within within the Jewish communities because of you know so much friction that exists you know between. Jews who are who are you know those of us who who uh, ide identify with any certain Orthodox communities and so forth and and other people who don't and the and just to build some dialogue and and uh, and we were we were actually supposed to meet on Zoom last night and that got canceled last minute uh, but the the fact of the matter is that, you know having spent the time 
uh, you know, interacting with Muslims, interacting with neo-pagans, interacting with all kinds of different people that we certainly are at odds with, whether theologically, certainly that's the case with the neo-pagans, uh, or uh, religiously otherwise, maybe not necessarily theology, but other aspects of religion and and certainly uh, other prejudices that have developed over the times when it comes to Jews and Muslims. I, I, I've personally experienced that, and I've also seen interesting interactions between different inmates and, and different communities, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, and sometimes, you know, merely curious, you know, there was uh, so have, so when you, so you one, yeah, one case that, that comes to mind, we had a Syrian Jew who uh, being a Syrian Jew, he, he spoke Arabic and one of the Muslims said to him, well, why don't you convert to Islam already? You already speak Arabic. Like, you know, he was, the, the Muslim was Makana that the <laughs> that the Jew was 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 fluent in in, in his sacred language and uh, and he said you know but he somehow you know thought you know like he didn't which, cop you know which, why, which, why, why would you say why would you stay Jewish if you if you could become Muslim you know? is, so maybe that really is, is is a great jumping off point Yitzchak because you know people will conflate speaking Hebrew with necessarily being a Jew which is not true as we know from Israeli Arabs people assume. You know, that I speak Hebrew to my wife, workers who come to my house who say, oh, you probably speak Hebrew when, you know, oh, I actually speak English. I speak English probably better than you do. Um, so I think that ev- even diffusing people from language doesn't equal identity is really uh, a powerful thing that can happen. Um, and and, I'm, and you say that it happens in prison, but you've never really constructed uh, a forum where you're going to specifically want Jews to explain themselves to the Muslim population or to the Christian population. Um, and the uh, other way around for the Muslims and Christians to explain themselves to the Jewish population. Right. So, so maybe, you know, again, I, I, obviously it's, you know, I was telling you the other day before we were talking about this idea, you know, I would like to do this rather than be out in the yard, you know, hitting rocks or whatever it is that you have to do or making license plates. Why? Maybe maybe this is something that the staff and you could supervise as a model of how representatives of different religions who, who believe in different things can actually speak to each other. Um, you know, do, do you think it's something that could fly? Or are you are you are you worried that that anger and passion will 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 erupt in such a such well, a form. I, I think the the biggest danger that exists, which I I generally don't have a fear of, because I guess because I'm I'm comfortable enough with my own faith that I don't I'm not as uh, I, I'm not as threatened by this. But many Jews certainly feel threatened by by uh, being proselytized, and that this could be wind up being a forum. Proselytization, uh, and that's certainly, uh, you know, a concern within prison. Different prison systems have different approaches to that type of question. In Pennsylvania, an inmate is allowed to change their religious preference once in six months, and it's <laughs> a simple matter of signing a paper, and then that's it. And then, then now you're there's not really that many things that would that change because one changes their religious preference. Uh, other than anything that's related to food service, that's really, but with, but as opposed to you know we we discussed with another guest about New York State. In New York State, you're only allowed to change your religion once a year, so it's less than Pennsylvania. That's six months. And furthermore, uh, whereas in Pennsylvania you can change your religion just by just by you know signing a paper. I just got a I just got a a request from a, a fellow who was pretty active as a Wiccan for quite a long time and actually knowledgeable of Wicca. And now he asked me for a form to change his religion. I don't know what, what he's changing to. I'm, I sure hope he doesn't choose Judaism, but uh, <laughs> in the prison you know, on the street, that's his own business. And I'm, I'm very so, welcome in here, so, but in the prison, I'm kind of. So <laughs> I think, I, I think what you're, what you're answering to me, Yitzhak, is that, that, un, that it wasn't what I was thinking that the representatives in prison are sort of like 
uh, aggressive, grotesque versions of what's out in, in, in the free world, so to speak, but they aren't really as committed. The, 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 the identity is so fluid there, especially when it comes to religion. It's, it's an opportunity. It doesn't mean that people change their religions every day. They're, just because they're allowed to change their religions once in six months. And, and like I said, in New York, not only does it t- you have to wait a year, but you actually have to have both the chaplain of your current religion and of your new religion both sign off in New York State before you can change your religion. So it's much more difficult in New York to, to change a religion in prison as opposed to, and not only that, in Pennsylvania, we really let, we do allow inmates the freedom to attend any religious service they wish. And quite a few Christians attend the Buddhist service and things like that. Whereas in, in New York, they don't let you do that. You have to pick one and you stick with it. Um, but there is a lot of aggressive issues of proselytizing in all prisons. I think that's one of the the very common things, uh, depending, you know, people, the inmates, they want to feel like they saved a soul. And as a part of it is, I think, the, this obsession with manipulating other people and, you know, that they, they won someone over to their, to their side. So whether it's, uh, certainly I would say the nation of Islam is a very proselytizing. Yeah. We, we've, we've talked, and we've talked about that, of course, when we spoke about, um, uh, Malcolm X and his conversion, have you ever had cases where you've had a proselytizing Jew? Well, we had a person who was, who, uh, uh, he, he would be Meshumid, but he, he was a Jew. He wore a yarmulke all the time, and he was always trying to convert people to his very uh, uh, Calvinist approach to Christianity that kind of offended a lot of the Christians as well. Uh, and the fact that he wore a yarmulke made a, a, quite a chil Hashem, and he he was a little guy, and he would get into fights with the Muslims over this as well, and it was it was a security issue. We were, we were, we were worried about you know he's going to say something stupid. Which so he, he's he was a messianic Jew, so to speak, as we call or or a Jew who, who yeah, <laughs> as they call themselves a messianic Jew, or a, he believed in Yeshua, as they say, right? He believed. Yeah, in I, I, yeah, I don't remember him ever using that term, but he he definitely he, you know Chabad was makar of him in his previous prison, and I remember the the chaplain in that prison was Lubavitcher Chassid, he's a rub of the a shul, he telling me, you know, that this this fellow, he's of the Jewish faith, meaning because a lot of people who identify as Jewish are, are not halachically Jewish, and I said, well, <laughs> he might be halachically Jewish, but his faith is Christianity, it's, it's not the... Yeah, well, you're right, Yitzchak, when you, the language definitely is slippery in that way, Jewish faith, we almost take faith for granted, and faith is something very internal and very deep. <laughs> and you're right. Someone of the Jewish faith. You know, but again, it's part of the old American way of talking. I would assume this Chabadsker was a little bit of, a, of an older vintage than yourself. Because I, yeah, yeah. I remember when I was growing up, that was just a, uh, an all-inclusive term. But clearly, yeah. again, you, you agree with me, however, that, um, that there is a, a huge amount of misunderstanding and, 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 and lack of knowledge. And I think it goes, well, let's say it even for ourselves. I mean, I've said to you before how you were blessed with, with your upbringing uh, as, as diverse and as, you know, sort of like interesting and wild as it was, all of those elements have allowed you to minister the way you are. But many of the people that you you send your kids to school with, their parents, they they aren't aware of the difference between a Catholic and a Protestant. They aren't aware really of, of the difference in terms of a fundamentalist Christian and someone who um, you know who, who practices once in a while. Uh, and I think it's probably important for on our side to know what Islam means. I mean, I I have a I have a hard time um, with people who assume. Once they hear that there's an imam or a Muslim, automatically assume the worst. I, I think we all need, I think in our camp, we need some calm voices and calm voices of education. I'm not saying that I want apologists for Hamas. No, that's right. not, that's not I, I, I don't need to hear that. But I do think that we need to understand 
Uh, for example, people who on this who have listened, and I hope this podcast is being recorded. I've been getting some uh, warnings about it that I see it's being recorded. I hope my computer is able to do it. But I know that the podcast that we did about Ramadan was listened to by a, a Muslim friend of mine, person who uh, works in the yeshiva of Newark, uh, actually the parent company of the yeshiva of Newark. Um, and uh, I don't want to say I, wrong. I, I, <laughs> did, did, was I accurate? Did, did he? They they got a lot from. Was actually a woman. I don't want to say her name because I'm respecting her privacy. But right. she 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 appreciated it. She appreciated you. She appreciated the program. She thought we did a very good job uh, discussing Ramadan. And I think that the more people, maybe even in Israel, understand the significance of Ramadan, and and w- it would make a difference. I'm I'm not trying to say that the uh, that the Israeli uh, soldiers. Who supposedly rough people up at, at the at the at the checkpoints um, need you know that much training in this, but I think it would probably help. I think it probably help all along without assigning blame. But I think the knowledge of what Ramadan means, the knowledge of what you know some of the tenets of Islam are, um, I think are, are are crucial. I think even in Israel, there's probably people who, when they hear the mere mention of the Islamic religion. Uh, want to spit on the ground, and of course that is that is something which is is, is to me intolerable. The uh, uh, I'm not giving them I'm not giving them the, the credence that they are a religion that 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 is a challenge to what I believe is the true religion of Judaism. But I think that we need to understand where people are coming from and what motivates them, and you know uh, what Dar al Islam means. And and where all the, what these things are rooted in, we only hear the most intense, um, uh, uh, aggressive, and militant voices, and I think we we need people to step up and 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 and, and explain for themselves. No, uh, don't, don't you? I, I, I agree a hundred percent. That certainly, you know, my uh, you know my take on on these things. I I, I was reading about Menachem Froman, who I met. Twice, uh, as a friend of Rafa, I davened with him on Hashanah Rabbah uh, twice, uh, two years in a row, and actually davened for the Ahmed and his minions uh, on Hashanah Rabbah. And he, and you know, they asked him. You know, he he actually, you know, he, he was an enigma because he 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 uh, he, he embraced both sides, like. He, and they asked him, you know, Rabbi Froman, are you a right winger or a left winger? He said, you need both. You need two wings to fly. Uh-huh. That was the answer. And, uh, you know, because everything in Israel, it, it comes out to be politics. It's not, it's, you know, here in America, I think it's a little bit easier for us to, to have those dialogues. But there certainly are people in Israel who are striving to accomplish those things and to, and to, to make these types of dialogues, to open up bridges of understanding and even if they're few and far between they they can accomplish big things if you if there there's one kid who's contemplating uh blowing you know blowing up some jews because uh, of whatever poison he was fed you know on on the on the even the cartoon shows that they show some of the more extreme elements in in, in the palestinian communities uh a little kid is is brainwashed into something like that and then you know, he finds out. You know, the, the Jews—they're not pigs and monkeys and devils. You know, the, there is—you know—we we have a lot more in common. And and I've, you know, I know um, our mutual friend, uh, Doctor uh, Juni. Uh, no, Yol Shopper. Yol Shopper, sure. So he has a podcast also, and he was interviewing uh, a, 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 a younger man who calls himself jihadi Jew. But he understands the, the the concept of jihad, and not uh, not as a holy war, but as the Mohammed Yetzer, which is really the classical idea in Islam of that term. Jihad really means Mohammed Yetzer, and it's it's uh, or that's at least the great jihad is, is the is the inner struggle, and uh, and and also sometimes you know striving for for uh, what what they call now. Um, social justice or things like that is also is sometimes the term jihad is used not all it's not always uh a right. war but, but, but anyway this 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 younger man i think he's a shtickle breslov or chassid something he said that uh, can you turn the sound off he said that 
uh, you know, he was talking to a Muslim. Uh, oh, he invited actually, I think, for Shabbos meal, a Muslim fellow, and he was reading, and he and he he, he had the bencher in English, and he was reading it, and it, all the obviously in Birkus of Muslim, we have a lot of a lot of references to Eretz and and the the Muslim fellow asked this this guy, I don't remember his actual name, I just like I mentioned his, his screen name, and he said, uh, you know, there's all these references to the Holy Land. So you, you mean to tell me that it's not just a political issue, but there, that, 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 that this is a, an aspect of your religious faith, this piece of land? He said, so you mean to say there are, uh, the example he gave, there, there are laws that apply only in the Holy Land that don't apply elsewhere. And you know, obviously we know the mission in Kalim that's, that sums up with at least Alpi Halacha, obviously in Hashkaf, there's other ideas. What it means, Kedushas Eretz Israel is, 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 you know, so anyway, the uh, so so this Muslim fellow said that I can understand. You know, he said I always heard. You know, you you go to a college. Uh, you know, you hear Hasbara about Israel, and you hear about oh, you know, they all the technology which is wonderful things israelis have accomplished and technology and other things uh, and you know culture about the uh, you know eating falafel and singing hatikva and whatever else <laughs> and, and 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 but you never hear the religious aspect because usually whoever was sent by by the sachnut or whatever they're not uh, there to preach religion they're they're there to preach something political and and he said, you know, as a Muslim, he can relate more, you know, to the religious ideas than to than than if you're just presenting me something political. Um, so so so, think- so so what you're saying is is that that you believe that there's plenty of moderate Muslims who, if they understood some of our essential ideology, uh, would 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 be less. Um, uh, have less of a proclivity to assume the worst about us and to assume the worst about an Orthodox Jew. Um, and maybe even, you know, to, to really understand that, 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 that there are many, many different shades of Judaism, even in Israel itself, even among people who, who are his, so, so, the people who are fighting the IDF. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people fighting the IDF, are just, they're, they're not their Baratza, they're their Bainas. You know, I mean, they, I had people in my home when I was a rev in Richmond who, you know, spoke about how much it pained them, and, you know, ha- and you know they the and how, you know, how they they were not happy being there. Now the truth of the matter is, uh, I you know even you know I, I do identify a lot with the Satmar, but I I'll agree with you that in this particular case here, I don't I I cannot honestly say that Israel is in the wrong. Uh, and I do honestly believe that they're defending themselves legitimately in this particular case, which is why I think, you know, this time, maybe not the same as other times, I, I'm taka very upset when I see the the Notori Carta right now with and with the things going on. But on the other hand, again, maybe, maybe as 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 upset as we are at, at, at these guys, and I think they're being foolish. Who knows if somebody who who was thinking of hurting a Jew sees them and says, oh, uh, "Okay, so here you look. I have to look. You know, you know as well as I do that the Turi Karta are used as stooges by the Palestinians and others." Oh, 100 um, percent. And I'm and I'm, I'm not supporting that, but I'm saying like if there is a if there is a kid who's thinking of doing something wrong, and then they're like, "You know, wait a second, you know." Uh, maybe the may, maybe Jews aren't that bad. Maybe you know, <laughs> but, but which but which but, but it ends up vilifying the rest. In other words, if if the Naturi Karta are out there, what it ends up doing, even if someone says, "Well, you see, here's a Jew that hates the state of Israel. Here's a Jew that feels that we should give back the land. Here's a Jew that says Israel should not be uh, a country run by Jews." Um, I, I think they are so in the minority in that way. It's I, I'm happy for them to come. I'm not I'm not going to be so aggressive against them and say they can't dive it in my shul and they can't be part of my community. But I, I think they they having them being so vocal 
like you know as well as I do. I, did you ever, when you were in Ezra Academy, did you ever go on the march for Israel? Did you ever do that walk that's done in New York City where the uh, the parade? The parade. Were you ever part of that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you know in the Israel Day Parade, there's always, there used to be always a group in the Turi Karta Hevra, you know, that would have their counter protest. Yeah. And, and, and I really felt that it was, it was, it was, it was completely unbecoming. You, 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 okay, you disagree with this, all right. Yeah. But you, all you want to do is you want to get on TV. You know what I'm saying? You want to get on TV. Uh, look, you, you believe they're, they're, you're not changing any minds. You're not changing any of the, of, 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 um, any Jewish minds. What are you there for? To tell the rest of the world that, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that the Satmarov is correct, that this is the Sitra Akhra, that this I mean, is the I mean, the truth is that they don't have anything with Satmar. They're not, they're not part of the Satmar community, but uh, maybe they're part of uh, B'nai Yol, they have some Shaifas too, but not to the, they actually protest against Satmar every year on Tisha B'av, uh, in, in Kiris Yol. They, the, those those same Hevra are, are protesting against Satmar and really don't hold from the either of the current Satmar Rebbes. Uh, I, I, I find them distasteful. The, the, the thing that I find the most distasteful about them is that their total lack of respect for, for anyone. I, I, I've had conversations with these people. I, there was one who worked uh, in the same bungalow colony with me over the years and, and some of the other Hevra, I've spoken to them and, and, and I remember they had some disagreements with other, with, with certain gedolim about certain issues, and they, and and they would use the term like a zokin mamre or something. I said that, that's too that 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 I I can't I I can't uh, you know stomach to hear someone saying that you know you can this you can disagree respectfully that you have a different dastur that you listen to, but not, but stop to just be, be so rude and like that that that, that that's one thing, but. Uh, I, I agree with you. I, I, I'm not saying that right. they're right. But, 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 but you know what? Again, your point is taken. Yes. I think that what we need is greater education. Uh, again, I, I thought perhaps that at least we could use the the controlled environment of uh, uh, you know of the prison as a way to at least begin to see can such conversations take place? Can uh, can such communicate? And then notice, in fact, Yitzchak. The, the difficulties there and trying to correct them when we when we try to have these 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 conversations in, in the public square because it, it really seems that the conversations are are not are not effective i mean you we we've talked about your feelings your political feelings and 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 everyone knows whether they supported trump or not that there is no real conversation going on at all um about look no one, if somebody would stand up in the U.S. Congress today and say, whatever you think about President Trump, President Trump should be applauded for his, uh, what he did in pushing for the vaccine to be right. produced. And, 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 and it is 100% truth that what Biden did was just basically continue what was there as far as Trump's plans, whether he actually uh, crafted them or not. And that Trump should be given, despite any you know negative things that Trump did, he should be given Hakara Satov for yeah. what he did in pushing the, the, the drug companies to come up with this. If somebody would make that statement, people would consider that person unfit for his, for his position, correct? <laughs> he'd be considered, yeah. a, he'd be considered a, 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 a barbarian. And why can't we say, why aren't we able to say positive things about what people do despite being, despite being critical about other things? Why is it a zero-sum game that you, i mean i have i have a theory about that and a lot of it has to do with the secularization of of the left in general you know meaning they're coming the the the, the non-jewish people around us are mostly coming from a christian background that does teach forgiveness that you know that's central to christianity is forgiveness and i think it's unforgiving ideology it, it, it comes from the abject secularism that that you know if you're not if, if you're you're irredeemable you're not you know if you're not perfect there's no 
there's no i think even that was what the hillary clinton said you know a, a basket of deplorables and irredeemables and and, and and that's that's the world we live in is that they, they won't forgive anybody you know you make one mistake you're canceled dr seuss is canceled uh, right uh, but what i'm saying yitzchuk is is that you're right but again to be honest they are canceling not dr seuss completely but they are they are going with a fine tooth tooth comb they went through some of his older books i don't think dr seuss i don't think you know um Doctor, the cat in the hat is going uh, to be banned, but I do. But it depends on who you. You know, it's it's come. It's not coming out of a vacuum. No, no, right. I I I agree that the tendencies are terrible. What I'm saying is, but they're they're being born out of you know the the scholars who are who are pushing these things would like to see Doctor Seuss totally canceled. It just you know this is where we're holding right now is that. Uh, you know, the cat in the hat is not canceled, but these certain books are canceled. And and one of I, I was listening to one uh, someone whose spouse is a critical race theory, and he said, I, I don't remember the name of the book, but there's a certain book that Dr. Seuss wrote about tolerance, and the and of this, course it's Nietzsche's, the Nietzsche's, yes, and of course the Nietzsche's, and the and the professor said the book the Nietzsche's because it teaches colorblind. Uh, a colorblind society. Right, I agree. I, I'm a hundred percent there. At the end of this, basically, the Sneeches are that the star-bellied Sneeches thought they were better than the ones who didn't have stars on their bellies, which was obviously uh, a, a a very heavy-handed but obvious uh, and and and. and way to talk about black and white relations and what happens is of course is that at the end of the sneeches um uh, it turns out uh, they uh, they learn a lesson and that you can't tell the difference and there's people with there's there's sneeches with stars sneeches without stars and there's completely no difference between them and you're correct uh critical race theory continues to push this idea that you have to adopt and you have to agree you have to admit to what you are and you have to be separate uh, uh, the Sneetches is the Gene Roddenberry world of Star Trek that he envisioned of a world beyond race. And I think you're correct. There are people who are probably do not want the Sneetches around. I think that's what your friend is saying, is that they, they want people to actually uh, own up to uh, the devil that they have become, although they don't feel like a devil, but they have to, they have to own up to their, own, to their own evil, the evil of the society that spawned them, which maybe perhaps means that that no conversation you can have is ever going to work because you can tell the person it's look, I'm not saying you think that consciously, but you are part of a, uh, of a construct that has to have those negative things. And because you come from this privilege, because of where you stem, this is who you are. So I, 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 I put my fingers in my ears and I'm not listening to what you're saying right. because, because of who you are. And because of who you are, everything you say is going to be tainted. And, and I, I can't, I can't accept that. I can't. I, you well, know, I, 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 and again, if that I think is really what's happening, and and yeah. and I was hoping that maybe in prison, I don't know if that's infected. Has that infected the prisons as well? I know it's infected academia. I know it's there in 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 the colleges. Uh, well, people who are it's, it's, it's an ideology that's central to nation of Islam. And 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 that's certainly you know their ideology. Although I think, in a certain sense, the Nation of Islam ideology is a little bit more tolerant than than the uh, than the academic world is. You know, actually, you know, because of my work, I have to listen to these uh, sermons that Farrakhan or someone else gives. He doesn't sound as racist as the. As the professors who are who are saying that that automatically, if you're white, you're, you know, you have to give up your whiteness. Uh, Farrakhan would never say you have to give up your whiteness, you know, that type of these type of uh, and uh, so it's uh, at least as far as what he says publicly and what's currently being, uh, and he actually says that you know he he's he's caring about the. The impoverished white man that that's you know a victim of of the society as well. That's the types of things that 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 he claims to now say. Farrakhan Fer, can actually show some sympathy for 
um, the, the the poor impoverished white person from Appalachia, whereas the the sociologist or the academia of today says even somebody who comes from uh, that impoverished place is still really a byproduct of uh, of the of the of the white oppressive culture, whether he knows it or not. Um, well, anyway, as 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 I said, I I, I was you know but, but I, 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 I I wanted. The truth is the nation of Islam is a small, much smaller than it was, at least in, in my experience in working in prisons. At one point in history, it was, it was the dominant expression that would identify itself as uh, Islamic in some sense. And in and, and th- and those days, it was far less Islamic. And um, most, of the, most of the people who came from that, from that world converted to uh, a more of a traditional Islam. And that might be worthwhile too to, to even have these conversations and to realize how you know Elijah Muhammad and Farrakhan differ from standard Sunni and Shiite Muslims uh, is also important. I think again, education is something that um, lowers barriers. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's it's in the bastion. Uh, of education in the, in the universities where none of that really is there anymore, right? The, the, you, you would expect, and again, people are getting their education from other sources, whether it's Wikipedia or from YouTube videos or from podcasts. And and, and that, of course, is also a problem. I don't expect, I'm happy that, that, that Muslim uh, listeners appreciated your take on Ramadan, but I am not telling the Muslims and I'm not telling the outside world, you know, come here, Kolokowski, that's where you're going to get your sources. I would love there to be Muslim expositors who are out there and Jewish expositors. And yeah. I think, and I think that's really what we need. And we need people to, to, to do that in a safe way. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like, you know, although prison seems to be the ultimate safe place, it doesn't seem like that's happening. I think it, it could, it could happen. It could be, especially now that Corona is ending and we we're starting to go back to having groups and having, you know, opportunities with these types of things. Well, well maybe you can, maybe you, again, you know, I'm, I'm happy if I have a thumbnail uh, of, of an effect on maybe a program that you could run in a way and then monitor it. And then you could really bring it in a way where people could say, you know, the same way um, the famous uh, teacher, I think we talked about this, the famous um, uh, experiment that was done, I think in 1965 in Texas, uh, the teacher who, did the race experiment with her class uh, in terms of blue eyes and green eyes and um, blue eyes or green eyes, blue eyes and brown eyes, I think it was, and was able to teach uh, racism and what racism is about. I think we can teach not what racism is about, but teach what conversation could be about and how people can speak to each other. And I think that's something that if we can model that, I think that's, you know, you know, I would say there's an example out there, you know, I love, um, uh, telling people about other podcasts, and uh, I'm not a big fan of Alan Dershowitz. I think Alan Dershowitz, um, uh, he's a great uh, uh, legal mind. Uh, he's not a mindman at all. Believe me, he does not believe in Tarim and at all. However, he is a big defender of Israel, and Alan Dershowitz on the program with uh, Megan Kelly um, uh, had a very nice conversation with a, with a Muslim historian and a Muslim, a Muslim spokesman. Uh, a Palestinian spokesman, Shahidi, I forgot what Shahidi's last name was, and I apologize, but you should check out that Megyn Kelly show and hear that discussion. And it was uh, it was basically a, a very um, um, uh, tolerant, understanding discussion of each side, describing their sides and grievances, and really describing what they were about and agreeing on, on certain historical facts. And that was, as we say, a machaya to hear. And I think that's, we need more models of that. So Yitzchak, um, when we talk about um, uh, you know the, the the funnest part of our program, I guess when we talk about uh, a connection, I mean there have been films, of course, about the Tuskegee Airmen, and there's the, there's the Scottsboro Boys about the terrible um, um, uh, prison experiments. Uh, the Boys from Brazil uh, is uh, uh, I, I love the book, and I have to say I was somewhat disappointed by the film. Are you going to tell me you haven't seen The Boys from Brazil? No, I haven't seen it. 
<laughs> Yitzchak, don't you know it's about the the attempt to clone Hitler in many many yeah, forms? I know it's I know it's about, but I didn't I didn't I didn't see they saved Hitler's brain either though. So I see, I see. Basically, it's 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 the it's 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 uh, a book. It was based on the book by Ira Levin, of course, who had written. Um, uh, many, many. Uh, uh, I think he was also the, the the playwright who wrote Death Trap. But Ira Levin, um, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, Kiss Before Dying. Uh, okay. You know. Okay. So anyway, he, I, he, with a name like that, he must have been Irish, right? <laughs> so Ira Levin's book, um, The Boys from Brazil, was a bestseller, and it it, it it's about a uh, a number of middle aged men are dying all over this all over the country and it turns out that what's going on is they are being assassinated by nazi agents and the reason they are being assassinated is because they are trying to recreate hitler's youth because hitler has been cloned and there are hitler clones all over the world and they're hoping that if they can recreate enough of hitler's life his childhood uh, and they could sort of nudge him along the same way Hitler lost his father at a certain age. These children that are losing their fathers at a certain age will hopefully develop into someone like the Fuhrer who will again uh, create the next Reich. And um, the only one who's really aware of it is, I forgot who plays, is it, um, it's, 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 it's a, a famous young Jewish actor who has the goods. And uh, maybe it was... Um, so again, I think it was Steve Gutenberg's one of his first roles there, and he somehow has the goods about what's going on, and and he sends the information to uh, the Simon Wiesenthal uh, character. Uh, I don't think they call him Simon Wiesenthal in the movie. I think they call him—I um, uh, forgot what they call him—Lieberman or something. I think they call him. Uh, um, they give him a different name. Um, they call him, uh, yeah, Ezra Lieberman. I don't know why, but anyway. Lawrence uh, Olivier plays yeah, him. Yeah. Right, so Lawrence Olivier plays him with the worst Jewish accent. Again, you have the greatest, you know, the greatest actor of the 20th century in some in some people's minds, Olivier, uh, playing, you know, and, and he can't, you know, he doesn't really pull it off, uh, the Jew. Like, the mannerisms are so exaggerated that, you know, nefesh hayofas he led this man, but... Um, but it's it has of course uh, um, you know it has a number of besides uh, uh, as Gregory Peck playing you know against uh, cast against his usual uh, type uh, playing Mengele, and Mengele of course is the was the doctor who did perform those operations on twins that I think have been documented, and it it, it was just Ira Levin's imagination that Mengele and the other German scientists were already thinking about cloning. And they used their experiments in Auschwitz and other places to develop a cloning technique. And they've had actually they've actually had cloned Hitler uh, so many times. And this is, of course, where what the film is about about this 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 attempt to create the next Hitler. So that is another. That, that wasn't the only time Lawrence Olivier played a a Jewish role poorly. Yeah. <laughs> What was he? What was he in the? In the where else? In the he, entertainer? He, he, he was in the in the jazz singer in 1980. Two years later, he was. Uh, uh, that's right. Was, that's right. Also, yeah. also very. I don't know what was with it. What did he think? You know, he needed to. Uh, he need before he died. He needed to get a little bit more on his on his on his uh, on, on his CV. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was that was that was just a horrible movie. The, 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 <laughs> The Neil Diamond uh, version of the I don't know if that if that was worse or Jerry Lewis's uh, TV version. I think that one was still worse than yeah. yeah. Uh, although it did produce some good songs, though. I think Neil yeah. Diamond, Neil Diamond, America, and a number of those songs. I think yeah. that uh, uh, you know Neil Diamond uh, was a good voice choice. Uh, for oh the role. no, the, the the singing was 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 was. Uh, not bad, but it was, but the the whole, especially. Well, Neil Diamond is not an actor, and Lawrence Olivier was full of schmaltz and ham, so it's really, you know, it 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 really didn't work. But again, that those are films, you know, that's a, really a film again that I guess is built on the idea of of prison experimentation. Um, but you know, for some reason, what, what's in my head today, um, and I don't know why it's, it, 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 I, I guess what's in my head today is, I, I think what's wrong is that 
we want to have sharp edges. We want to have a beginning, middle, and end. We want, what are you really about? And the idea of people being many things, the idea of people being variated, the, the idea that, that, that sometimes a person is many things. And, and, and I think we sort of have a get to the point, what are you about? What is it that you believe about? And I think that's reflected in, a, in certain types of films where there, there is also like a demand, like, you know, you have the, the script is 90 minutes and you have to go from point A to point B to C, and then you have the big finish. And I think that is really, in a way, a weakness that many films have because they're not always able to, 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 to accomplish that. Many times you'll hear a film setup is good, but um, you know, the climax was weak. Sometimes you'll hear about a film, the exposition in the beginning of the film is just too wordy and overblown. Um, uh, you know, and I think that people like Keaton and others knew that the gags are sometimes more important than where the plot is going. Chaplin, of course, understood that as well. And I think you do have some films that I would call episodic in nature. And let me make my point a little bit clearer. I think the society's insistence for the formula really leads to, to us imposing upon other people a formula. Instead of, I think if more people would, 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 would be able to see humans and, and human stories as more as an, of an episodic uh, arc rather than where you went from and what you became and what you evolved into, but rather just observing in a larger way, I think we would, uh, our, our, our viewing habits would change the way we look at people. And therefore I, I am going to, uh, in, in the spirit of what, I, of what both of us, I think, are um, championing as, as a way to perhaps lower the temperature and begin conversations is to, to engage, perhaps be more involved in documentaries and also films that are more episodic, uh, documentary, almost like a documentary-like style instead of, okay, you know, <laughs> it goes from A, B to C. And I'm gonna suggest two films and they are very actually one of them is considered one of the greatest films of all time, which is Pather Panchali, which is uh, Syajit Ray's film. I probably mispronounced his first name, um, but it was his first film. This the great Indian filmmaker, um, and uh, that is a film about. Uh, it's really just a slice of life of what it means to live in extreme poverty in Bengal and Bengali in, in, in India. But also it really has a dynamic of a husband and wife and a child that's loved and, and a sister and, and how, despite the poverty and, and, and things around them, how they are just basically regular people and, um, and with strengths and weaknesses. And, and, and to be able to see the other culture, there's a, an incredible performance and I, of, of, because this, this very impoverished Indian family takes in a great aunt or a grand aunt who has no teeth uh, she's bent over. The acting job that this woman does, I mean, it deserves 20 Oscars. She is great. She's great and, 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 and full of pathos, but not in any maudlin, over-sentimental way at all. And when I was watching this film, I was being transported, Yitzchak, not just in time, like, you know, period pieces, which I think are always in a way, I'm always, I'm, let me put it this way. Even Schindler's List, I can't get over the fact, you know, I'm, I'm thinking Spielberg is saying, you know what, we need to touch up the bones on that one, you know, the, they don't look emaciated enough, you know, even period pieces in many ways turn me off, because I'm, you know, I, 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 I know too much about the way films are, are produced to be, to be caught up in that escape. But when I was watching Panther Panchali, I, I really got the sense that I was taken back in time, and I was a fly on the wall, <laughs> literally, watching what was what life was like there and i was caught up in the dynamic of the story and i didn't need to have the character arcs or the tropes of, of falling in love or coming of age i didn't need any of that and to me i thought that was in a way very refreshing i'm gonna i'm gonna suggest another film which was considered one of the greatest westerns of all time and when when the film came out it was an incredible hit and that is butch cassidy and the sundance kid um I think I've mentioned on this program how I went to see it with my mother uh, in 1969 on Um, and it was a very big day to break our, our fast, so to speak, of not watching movies or, or, and things. Uh, but I rewatched it recently, 
and it is very, you know, episodic in nature. Um, uh, obviously, it's got, you know, unlike Panther Panchali that has um, no stars, people you you wouldn't know, people who seem taken straight off the street of Calcutta. Um, uh, this has Robert uh, Redford and Paul Newman, and they are at the height of their uh, of their <clears throat> charisma, and they're beautiful. You know, what I'm saying, I, you know, I'm saying Redford has never looked better in a film, and 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 the and, and George Roy Hill's close-ups of Newman and his baby blues, it's really great, and the banter between them. But really, the story is really, you know, they're being chased and they're going up this hill. It also has a very great Jewish actor in it, Jeff Corey. You know Jeff Corey is, right? Sounds familiar. Yeah, Jeff Corey, his name is not Jewish, but he played uh, a Jew in, 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 in a number of films, uh, most famously in Oh God, uh, uh-huh. where he plays the rabbi if you remember yeah, where yeah, yeah. if yeah. you if you remember the um the scene where uh, where john denver has to um explain how god could visit him but anyway jeff Corey is in it struther martin is in it um uh the only the weakest link in it is catherine ross who we mentioned before who was uh, the one of the stars of the graduate but newman and redford it's almost like uh um it, it reminds me very much of the um the camaraderie uh, and love that you see in between Fred McMurray and Ever G. Robinson in um, in um, Double Indemnity. Uh, you know, you know, Double Indemnity is not a love story between McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. It's really about McMurray and Edward G. Robinson, and you really see the love and and connection that these two outlaws have, and how. You know how fate and the world brought them together. It's a great elegy about the end of the American West uh, and about cultures, but it's done in such an episodic way. It's done in such a uh, sort of like a uh, that you don't necessarily um, uh, uh, buy in. You know, you're, you're not necessarily careened towards some incredible ending or or, or a great denouement. Uh, the characters are the characters, and you really get a sense of perhaps what life was like in those times. So that, those are my, uh, again, you know, again, the boys from Brazil is probably an oddity, but these other two, I think, are really worthwhile. And I think that, you know, it's those are good chill pills that I think can help. Do you have any, uh, now that I've talked for so long, have I stirred your 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 brain for anything? Well, I, I remember a, a, an American propaganda film, but that I think has a good message. I might have mentioned it before. It was, I think it's called Don't Be a Sucker. And it was actually, I think it was produced originally for the army, but then it was released uh, in 1946. I think it was actually released as a short subject uh, for the, you know, publicly. And it's about a young man. He's, uh, maybe in his early 20s, probably recently married, something like that. And he's listening to a a fellow up on a soapbox, you know, giving a lecture about how all these horrible uh, different minority groups are, are ruining America. And there's an old man standing there. And uh, he said, I never thought I'd see this in my country. Same thing we're saying here now, you know, that we couldn't imagine that that uh, what's going on that this is going on right now we hope it's an anomaly that that's not going to continue uh, the the types of attacks that we're seeing right now um and and uh, the 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 fellow he's listening to this and he's and uh, and he says you know who are the problems that it's the catholics and then it's the jews and it's this one that that one and it's the freemasons and then the guy said wait a second i'm a freemason and so then the old man who uh, was a Hungarian immigrant says, probably Jewish, he says, uh, he says, oh, it was okay when it was the Catholics and the Jews, but when it was your group, when it was the Freemasons, that's, that's when you got offended. You know, you, you, you can't, you can't be, you know, you have to, you should right, have and, been and the, Right, and the refugee, I think, again, it's an 18-minute film, and I think the the refugee was played by Paul Lucas, a Jewish actor, yeah. uh, who, um, the Watch on the Rhine, and, um, I think he was also, of course, uh, uh, most famously, right? Uh, Paul Lucas uh, famously right, was in a number of number of great films, uh, right? I think so. 
Yeah. Um, he was, uh, he, and it was great. And you're right, that, that film, I remember it went viral um, uh, after Charlotte's, after Charlottesville, after yeah, Charlottesville. Yeah, I know Glenn Beck was really pushing that people should watch this where, where he says, you know, the most important minority is the minority of one. That was really the the takeaway of the film was that you know that we're we're made with selim instead of having to put everybody into into categories and and so forth. Uh, we're just people, and we and 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 I think that's what what we can get out of these types of dialogues more than anything. Not not that we're going to change people's minds. Not certainly we don't. We're not we're not seeking to proselytize people. You know, and that's the fear that that I have from these types of dialogues is, is that people use it as an opportunity to proselytize or something, but really um, the, the, it, it, it's if, when we learn that we're just all people and we have, and we have much more in common than we have, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, people have an assumption about me, you know, that you see, you see a guy dressed like me, uh, you, you wouldn't know that I have a college degree. You wouldn't know that I watch movies. You wouldn't know, you wouldn't know any of these things about me, you know, because just you're going to assume by the way I dress, you know, that that the statement that I wear by the choices I make of how I dress. Um, but uh, it's it's uh, there's more to there's more to life than than just what what you see on the outside. hundred percent. And I think that you, um, you know, I think you model that. And I think that's something that, of course, we we we, we really need more of. Can we make a difference? Can movies like Don't Be a Sucker make a difference? I'm not sure, Yitzchak. Sometimes I think the indirect approach uh, can work better because I think yeah. we, I think you know the the indirect approach of of observing and not judging, of 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 not anticipating, of you know, and it can sometimes well, lead I, can 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 hopefully you know create tolerance if not for you know hope, hopefully soon. Because I, mean, I, I I remember hearing a story. I think it was on NPR uh, that there was a, a an African American fellow who was a, a musician. I don't know if I ever told this story that uh, before. And he said uh, he would go and sing in different bars all over the country, in different areas. And he sat down and had a drink with somebody, and he befriended him. And then the the, the man he had a drink with said, you know, this is the first time I ever had a drink with a black man. He said, well, why is that? He said, well, to be honest, I'm a, a member of the KKK, a card-carrying member. So then they became good friends, and the fellow uh, gave him his hood. He gave it all up. He said, you know, you taught me that that I was wrong all these years, and I want you to have this. And then it, it, the, the story the man tells is that he didn't do that once. He did it twenty times, and and these men gave gave their hoods to him, and he said he never set out to do this. He never. This wasn't an expectation that he had, or I think about you know it's just something that happened uh, organically. You know, I mean, my father always talked about his mother, who I remember, my grandmother, um, who was the daughter of Italian immigrants, <clears throat> and um, when she went to visit my grandpa. In World War II, uh, he was he was stationed somewhere in the south, and uh, and when it was uh, she got on the bus, she went and sat in the back of the bus, and they said, uh, "What are you doing there? You can't, that's not for you." And she she said, "Well, I'd rather sit with them than sit with you all who want them to sit in the back of the bus." That was uh, very, very very courageous. Again, I, I, you know, I like like I said, Yitzchak, I think that that you know you can do sometimes more with honey. Than you can with, um, you know, with 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 grain alcohol, and um, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm reminded by, um, you know, again, we talked about Gregory Peck recently. I, you know, most people believe that the, the apex of Gregory Peck's career, you know, despite the fact that he was a, such a handsome fellow and a heartthrob when he started, um, most people would say is Atticus Finch. Right. Um, and um, you know, I think the, you know, and again, uh, you know, the the two children. Uh, that played, you know, Gem and Scout in that film. I don't think they were professional actors. I don't think that they had much, um, much um, experience. But of course, when, when, I, let me just get to the point. When yeah. Scout, um, you know, uh, when when Scout uh, runs up to um, the mob, you know, they they want to lynch um, 
they want to lynch the the black man and scout runs in there and says you know hey what are you doing over here you know i know you uh, you know you come to my house and we help you out etc cetera, etc cetera. and they get shamed by their attitude uh when they realize how youth um do, aren't as tainted and, and i think films like um um, and again, we know the power of that film, and we know the hope that that film engendered. Yes, in some ways, the African-American characters are reduced to being these noble, savage-like creatures in a certain way, and, you know, they, they don't talk, and, you know, they, they have to be very modest, and, you know, they have to shuffle along in some ways, and I know that the, today, perhaps the culture would, would find the, the, the film offensive, but I think that the, the, those type of of scenes are, are important. And I think that, um, you know, I think that those are the type of scenes that, that can, that can melt people's hearts. I think that can change people and, and can convince people uh, in, in a way that perhaps a, a full on assault can't. So that's about it for this week. Let's hope that next week when we, when we speak, we'll be speaking about hopefully a, a brighter, more enlightened world. And we're not going to hear of any of these type of incidents anymore. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.